All right, so uh, this morning I want to talk about, uh, kind of again, we're moving into a new year. Um, of course, this is uh, Epiphany Sunday. Is uh, Friday was actually Epiphany Friday, and that marks the end of Christmas tide season. And so it's just one of those things that, um, what does that mean? We'll talk a little bit more about that in, in the message. But um, it really does kind of end that Christmas tide time and move us into the season of Epiphany where we build up and sort of look ahead towards the Lent season. And so we will, um, we'll kind of look at that and, and get a little perspective. But for the most part, I also want to talk about us moving into a new year. And I want to keep talking about this. What does it look like? And again, with so much uncertainty and things with every year, things that uh, last week we talked about uh, Christ who will make all things new, right? We talked about this, this newness that happens and that he gives us, but ultimately the newness that he's doing with us, the, the creative newness. And so I want to talk about renewing perspective for a new year. Perspective is something that's really fun. I used to love to show my students this picture here um, on this next slide. I, I left my clicker over there. So I used to love to show my students this picture of these guys just hanging and moving about. You can tell what it is. It's, you can see guys hanging there. So the next slide will show you what the actual photo is. So, so perspective makes quite a bit of difference, doesn't it? Um, it's, it's just a matter of tilt, um, pivot. And so, uh, and I know every one of you now are thinking, how could we go do a picture like this, right? I'm, I, yeah, we, we should probably do one for, for the group of us. That would be fun. Um, but perspective is something that is important for us. It's something that helps us to move into things in, in a way that, that is right um, and proper and good. And so when things are off and we're looking at things that are sideways and we're seeing it in the wrong perspective, it can make, it can make a huge difference in how we go about things. So as we talk about renewing our perspective, I want to return to, to a portion of Scripture that, in fact, back in August, Dean preached on. Psalm 73. And Dean preached from verses 1 to 15. He kind of stopped at right before the pivot point of this psalm. And, and so I was really excited that he stopped there because I love Psalm 73. I have spent years coming back to Psalm 73. I have used Psalm 73 to counsel students and families and and parents along the way, but this psalm has brought me through a number of times where I need to get my perspective reset. It's one of those that can be one of the, one of the best, most encouraging psalms, whether you're going through difficult times or you may have some on the horizon. It's a psalm that you should lock in and see what's happening, and I felt like Dean did such a great job bringing us up to that point when he talked about verses 1 through 15. He told us who Asaph was, that it was basically King David's worship leader. And we see in verse 1 that Asaph states a truth that he grapples to hold on to. And as Dean said, verse 1 can kind of stand alone. It's like a mic drop for Asaph in this moment. But it also flirts with a potential prosperity gospel, tapping into our consumerist culture, even in the church, especially in the church today. And how we read... And we read how Asaph is letting his feelings out honestly before the Lord. We also end 
with Asaph's acknowledgement that if he had gone around spreading this attitude, this is verse 15 that, that Dean had shared, if he had gone around and spread this, this sort of attitude that he had, this perspective that he was, he was running on, his limited perspective, it would have betrayed the Lord and it would have betrayed his people. And so now let's pick back up where we left off in Psalm 73. If you would turn with me there, I'm going to read. I actually didn't load all of Psalm 73 on here in the verses, but I will read along. And then we're going to focus. We're going to focus on verses 26 through 28. So as I read, I'm probably going to make a few little comments along the way. Psalm 73, and I'm going to start at verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Remember, Asaph's looking at how the prosperity of wicked people is just seems to be going on everywhere, and God's people seem to be catching the brunt end of everything. They're not successful. They're going through a lot of hardship. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And here's the shift. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish. And ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, ah, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. You will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Here's our passage of focus today. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Asaph. We thank you that he honestly put his feelings down, Lord, that he was honest enough to, to put this on record that we might identify these moments in our own lives. We ask you now that to, to illuminate this text to us, Lord. Help us to see your truth and your encouragement, your hope that we may be encouraged and that we may look to you and know that we belong to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So 73 verses 26 through 28 is what we're gonna look at today. 
One of my favorite verses I used to go to with my students time and again because I was in charge of dealing with character development and sort of discipline issues and things like that at the private school I was at for years. I used to quote Phillips Brooks. He said this, character may be manifested in the great moments, but it's made in the small ones. In other words, we, we don't necessarily look all the time for these big moments that we live in because we really don't. It's really the smaller ones that we live by. Those are the things that actually build up. Now, I know there's a danger in recommending movies or even sort of endorsing a film uh, from the pulpit because it, number one, tells a lot about my, my viewing style, and then number two, it's stuff that, if it's not well-censored, you might go, oh my goodness. But one of my favorite movies, um, and I may have to turn in my man card, I don't know, we'll see, is Jerry Maguire. Yep, okay, good, good, I've got some, okay, good, thanks guys. Jerry Maguire. And Jerry Maguire is one of those films that, that I love so much because it, it kind of plays a little bit of like what Asaph is in the midst of. There's sort of this revelation, right? This, this, this condition of the culture that's going on that Jerry's living in. And he's a, he's a sports agent. And he's used to just doing everything very superficially just to make money for himself. He is so self-serving in it. And he gets really inflated. Everything's an, an I love you is a, hey, I love you. And people start making fun of him about that. They're like, oh, yeah, I love you. I love you. It means nothing because they know he's an agent. This is his job. He says those things. He uses words just to get promotion and to continue to fill his pockets and secure his position. But he has a moment where he's frustrated and he has this enlightened moment of perspective that gets shifted because a kid cusses him out, basically over his dad's injury. And it, it, it torments him. And he suddenly gets clarity and he writes out, he stays up all night writing out what he calls his mission statement. And it's sort of a reset button to his whole industry. And he shares it with everybody and he ends up getting fired. But the whole thing about Jerry Maguire that I love as a film that's very unique to this film compared to a lot of other movies where you have you have the main, the main person who's, who's trying to get to this climactic solution point, the aha moment at the end of the movie. You begin the movie with the aha moment, and now you have to watch a guy struggle through the rest of it to hold on to that conviction. There are so many places along the way he just wants to give up. He's done with it. He's just like, ugh, please don't read that mission statement. That was, that was just, I was, I was just not even in my right mind. He starts downplaying it because he sees that to, to pursue that conviction and hold fast to it, it means a lot of sacrifice. It means a lot of ridicule. It means a lot of change in attitude and perspective. And to keep persisting in that, to persevere. And that's kind of what's happening here to Asaph. Asaph sees it. He gets an aha moment. And now the charge for us is do we pursue that? Do we persist in that and persevere through with that attitude, that renewed perspective? And so it is made up in these small moments. So again, I caution you. The movie's rated R for a reason. So please, if you go see Jerry Maguire. Um, but it's, I feel like it's got a great finish because you get to see what happens when conviction is held fast to. And even when you think you're about to lose hope, the focus of people 
And that's, that's a big part of what the church needs to be called back to quite often. It's oftentimes what we need to be called back to on a daily basis. So let's talk about that skewed perspective that's going on. We do like to think that we live in big moments. We're always chasing after something. I was a huge daydreamer as a kid, and even sometimes I'm still a daydreamer. But you, you sort of, how many of you used to sit in class sometimes or just at a calm point of the day where you start imagining just these big heroic moments that you've done. Like someone's in danger over here. Maybe a gunman comes into a store and you're the guy that knocks him out and grabs his weapon and takes out her and everybody's cheering and safe and nobody got hurt. Yeah, that was me as a kid all the time. I was imagining things blowing up left and right and I'm running through. I, I was basically Walter Mitty, okay? But it is those 10,000 little mundane moments of everyday life that truly does make up our character. It's those things that we're willing to do day in and day out and say, this is just a part of the building blocks of who I am and how I faithfully steward these little moments. They're actually the little moments that help prepare us for the bigger ones when they come. This is part of what I would share with students all the time. They would say, oh, Mr. Martinez, it's just not a big deal. Why are you so big? Because it's these little moments that set you up, that help prepare you for the big moments when you're tempted in these big ways over here. It helps remind you that, that no, it's worth it. Think of styrofoam. All those little bitty balls that are packed together, compressed, to insulate, Right? That's what it is. It protects, it insulates in many ways. So as we regain perspective, yes, as we regain perspective, there's three things I want to talk about very quickly. Number one, that we see Asaph doing. He acknowledges God's presence. He remembers God's rescue. And he obeys God's call. That's the movement that happens in these last verses of Psalm 73. So, renewing perspective and acknowledging God's presence. He says here, it is good to be near God. It is good to be near God. It's the exact opposite of where sin takes us, right? That's why I, I love Craig talking about the importance of confession. Because it reminds us that I need to be near God because I need to go to the one who can pull me away and remove that stuff from me, who has actually removed it from me in his son, but who needs to help continue to convince me that that's a reality for me now. It's done. And now he's doing that work of just scrubbing it off constantly, sometimes chiseling at times, but boy, he is cleaning us more and more, sanctifying us and preparing us for glory. It's where we're designed to live, too. We've heard that theme over and over, haven't we? God with us. We just came out of Christmas. Emmanuel, God dwelling with his people. He wants us with him and we want to be with him. And that's the, that's the goal. That's the place. So it is good to be near God. Many of us know times in our lives where that was not the place we wanted to be. We see a lot of people out around, around us in our communities in culture in general, that are going the opposite way because they think that's the better place to be. 
I know I had my Jonah experience where it was literally trying to flee from everything that God was calling me to or I felt was part of me that was good. And, and the world didn't see that. And so I thought, ah, I need to go the opposite direction. But that breaking point was a reminder and it brought me back to where I needed to be. And it was with God. And I rejoiced. That is the place I want to be. It renews our perspective. The next thing is remembering God's rescue. Asaph says this, I have made the Lord my refuge. This is what we're talking about. It's that pivot, it's that shift that happens that only God can do in our hearts where he, he helps us to see sin for what it is and say, I don't want that. To see the condition that we're in and the place of danger that we have placed ourselves and he says, this is refuge. I am the Lord. I am the best refuge you've got. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Thank you, Hillary and worship team for leading us in that. And what she was saying, to hope in, to trust in, to believe in that name that, that is the strongest name of names for us. So to remember his rescue it helps us to identify those replacement refuges, right? Those things that we try to make up. Our culture tries to feed us and say, hey, no, this is a better refuge. This is safe right here. This is good. God is the only hiding place worth running to. And Christ is our only true refuge. And now renewing perspective in the third way that Asaph points out is obeying God's call that I may tell of his works. This is the proclamation. This is exactly it. This is what that movement, we've talked about this in weeks past, over and over about being kingdom agents, being those who are members of the kingdom of God. But what does that mean? It means we are, we are kingdom people who proclaim the kingdom. That's our call. That's actually our joy. If God has truly been working and he's continuing to do that work in us, we can't help but, but share that in some tangible way with others. With one another, but with others, strangers. To let them know. It's living for his kingdom and his glory and not our own. We look at the gifts that he's given us and how he's positioned us and we point others in many ways to the only glory that satisfies, and that's his. That's, that's a gift in itself, to be an instrument. Francis Schaeffer once said this, we must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight there are no little people and no little places. Only one thing is important, to be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment to be consecrated, to be set apart, to be sanctified by God exactly where he has you. To say, Lord, you have put me here in this moment and, and I can't help but go back to Dean in the hospital who's in pain, who's on medicine, who's, who's sitting there, you know, hoping and has all kinds of reasons to be anxious and nervous and he's sitting there telling jokes to people. He... He had all kinds of backstory on people already that had been taking care of him. 
oh, she went to this school, and she goes over, and he goes over this way. And, I mean, he could just tell you so much already about these people's lives. Because he, was, he is sanctified, and he's being consecrated, and he's placed right there. And the consecration work is still happening while he's there in that hospital bed. And he can't help but tell of the glories of God. What a beautiful witness and encouragement. So as we look at what it means to renew and recapture what it is to regain this perspective that Asaph regains, that pivot point, we want to acknowledge God's presence. Remember God's rescue and obey his call. Scripture does not tell us to bury our doubts. And that's what I love about Asaph right off at the beginning, at the front of this. Oh, he's got all kinds of doubts. In fact, he's grumbling a bit about what's happening. We're not meant to put on a fake smile and pretend that this whole Christianity business isn't messy and confusing and sometimes difficult to swallow. We're invited to throw our doubts at God, to wrestle with God in our prayers and in our reading of Scripture, to bring our questions and our concerns to God, not from a place of pride or cynicism, but from a place of longing, a longing for truth, a longing for answers, but ultimately a longing for God. Because faith is not just about believing certain things, it is about believing in someone. It's about trusting ourselves, entrusting ourselves to the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name it is. As I mentioned, this is Epiphany Sunday. Usually uh, churches may, may put it on the front end or the back end of Epiphany since Epiphany landed on Friday the 6th. Um, and, and really, what, is, what does Epiphany mean? Are, are, is everybody from, I, I actually had to go and be reminded uh, okay, Epiphany Sunday, that's right, okay. Um, but Epiphany Sunday speaks of something coming. The word Epiphany does, to light. It's something coming to light or appearing before those who previously could not perceive it. It's to commemorate, it's to, to mark out when the, the Magi, the, the three wise men, came and beheld Jesus. That light pierced through the dark, the star, that lit up the sky and led these men with gifts to go and to see the Messiah who had come, to behold the Christ. It was an epiphany for them. As Dean talked about when he preached on Matthew 2, which was awesome because he was talking about hope, and he talked about the Magi. He talked about how they talk about the gifts and they talk about these things, but some of these guys probably had some various backgrounds. They might not necessarily have been you know, focused, uh, they, they might not have been Jewish. But they were, they were men who were wise. And they knew how to read certain signs. And they came searching when they saw that star. And they found Jesus. In Ephesians 3, Paul says this, In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is... The Gentiles have become fellow heirs. That's us. Members of the same body shares in the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. This mystery, this light, has broken into our darkness. 
What is revealed in the mystery of Christ and the incarnation is this, and it's what we celebrate at Epiphany, is that God's Son, God the Son's union with humanity is an embrace that in our baptism, in, in, our, in our participation in this body and this work, he clothes us in his divine humanity. He is making us new. He has declared it so. And so with that newness, we get new perspective. We get new calls. We have new things that we focus upon. And we have a lot of new changes that may come. But he's with us. He is our refuge. He is our hope. So if we are to get it right going in to any year, any day of the year, we just need to remember what Asaph has taught us in Psalm 73, that when we find ourselves discouraged, when we find ourselves feeling that weight of uncertainty or despair or anxiety, that we have to just look to where we need to go, the sanctuary of God. And it's not just coming into his presence alone by ourselves, but coming in together. He gives us a community that is part of that sanctuary. A people who can encourage one another, love one another, build one another up, call one another out when we need it, and encourage each other to press on so we can acknowledge God's presence together and remember his rescue and obey his call. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this day. We thank you that the best place for us to be is near you. We thank you that you have rescued us and you have redeemed us in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, you have made your epiphany known to us. That in our darkness we have seen the light. And the light is your Son. And, Lord, we thank you that each new day that you grant us, you are continuing to sanctify us, to consecrate us, to, to renew us and your image in us. And we pray that you would continue to do that work, even today. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper and remember your sacrifice, I pray that you would help it to be applied to us, renewing our energy, nourishing us, and encouraging us for the days ahead. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.